Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to Sega Talk episode number 64. I'm your host, George, and with me, like always, is the D to my E, Barry. Or Hello, how are you? Thank you for watching. Uh, I don't know why he's dressed like that. If you're, if you're watching this and not, just listening to this on audio or watching it on audio and thinking of what Barry looks like, he, he looks exactly what he sounds like. It's, uh, I think if I zip this up to the top, I look like a European. Hello. <laughs> he's uh, visiting <laughs> Chicago with all the snow, snowed in, or yeah. not snowed in yet. No. Oh, I'm I'm uh, not snowed in. I was snowed in. I had to dig out the, the garage. It's insane here, which is perfect because we're playing a game that's very snowy. Exactly. Uh, I actually kind of feel like I'm I'm living that game right now. I kind of I kind of just want to lay down and die in the snow. I'll be uh, honest. Like we announced, February is uh, Kinji Ino month, and we talked about D last time. Um, we kind of discussed some of his other games during that time. We kind of glazed over it. We talked about the packaging, which. Is something he was really known for, and but today we're going to be talking about the Mighty Ducks two D two. No, yes, no, no. It's oh, a sequel. Okay. I got an interview lined up and everything with the Emilio Estevez. So. <laughs> He's on the podcast, right? We're going to be talking about D two. I'll, I'll kick him off. <laughs> I wonder if there was okay. any like confusion back then when kids were like, "Is this?" The D2 Mighty Ducks video game with a woman? On they it? do put a hyphen. Did you notice that on the yeah. cover? It's not like straight D2. It's like D hyphen 2 mm. or D dot 2. So if we put this episode up, should we change the D to D hyphen 2? I go based on the wikis and the wikis just say straight up D2. Alright. I mean, maybe that would be up for argument with people watching this. You guys can tell us in the comments mm. what you prefer. But uh, I don't know. I don't really have a preference. To me, it's the same. When I was doing a lot of research on this game, uh, the problem with it was every time I put D2, it always came out with Diablo 2 stuff, like the remaster of Diablo 2. <laughs> um, yeah. I was just trying to see if there was any talk about remaking these these games or like re-releasing them or remastering them. Um, not really. There's some fans that obviously want it and they're discussing that on uh, forums, but nothing official or nothing licensed, nothing Sega related. Nobody's that I know of is approaching Sega trying to take these IPs off their hands because I'm assuming Sega owns some of it, right? You know, it's hard to say. Um, it runs on Sega hardware, obviously, but it's really hard to say who owns any of the warp materials now. I guess the best way you could look into it is that uh, D re-release that was done on Steam, and maybe look at the credits there and see who the rights holder is. That's mm. probably the best you could do. But I yeah. really can't say. Maybe a major corp, like a major corporation, bought up the entire D. You know, like the uh, Warp catalog. Could I mean, be. yeah, it could have been. Um, like the, the Prince of Saudi Arabia owns it or something. <laughs> Uh, like always, uh, these episodes are brought to you by you at home for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, this episode was actually Tyler's. He's been supporting us every month, and he has an episode every month. And he already told me what he wanted for next month. So, I mean, I might as well oh just boy. say what he wants. I don't know what week it'll be, but Valkyria Chronicles is definitely going to have an episode next month. Uh, it's one of the earliest games that I covered 
as a uh, Sega fan journalist, I don't know what, what you would call that. I'm putting quote marks. I don't know. Blogger. <laughs> Blogger, fan, fanatic, uh, bothering right. Sega people, and please let me in. Um, you want to read <laughs> uh, Tyler's memory before we get into our memories with uh, D2? Absolutely. So Tyler said, it's quite the ride seeing Eno's craftsmanship and creativity grow with every title. He really put an emphasis on storytelling in his work, but I don't see today's crop of cinematic games growing from that. Instead, Eno's games weren't about making an interactive movie, but rather placing you in its world and experiencing everything it has to offer. Gameplay still remain the focus, and D2 succeeds at making you feel under attack and vulnerable. An excellent game that exemplified Eno throughout a strange and beautiful work that will always be remembered. So thanks for watching, and uh, no, we'll I made that joke guys. last time too. These these always seem like a summation. They're very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, Pretty much. Now right? let's hear our our rambling memories. Yeah. Um. So like we always start every all these episodes. Uh, what's your memory with D two? Do you remember it when it was like being announced? Uh, hyped up interviews, anything like that? Or did, was it something that kind of went under your radar at the time? I, you know, as as listeners and viewers may know, um, both you and I, we read official Dreamcast magazine as it came out. Um, they did cover this game. So they did a, a pretty good job of like letting me understand exactly what it was all about. Um, still, I was confused. I was like, what D2? Like, what a strange... Title. Oh, is it a sequel? Oh, it is. Where's the other D? Oh, it's on Saturn. Well, I don't own a Saturn. Um, you know, so from what all accounts, I thought D2 was like a straight sequel and like these characters existed in a previous game. The storyline was continuing. And that actually was kind of a turnoff for the game. I mean, it's not like I refused to play it, but I was just kind of like, do I really want to go out and buy this game that's a sequel to a game that I've never played? Like, you got to remember, like, Shenmue 2, you know, like, you're not going to play Shenmue 2 until you play Shenmue 1. Um, and so I actually think it was kind of a mistake to title it D2, because it's just, it's so disconnected, both in terms of, like, era, console, um, everything. They're, they're, the only connection is that digital actress and a few other little things. Um, but I, you know, as you can see here, I did pick the game up uh, years later. I bought it used for, I think, like 20 bucks. You know, like, mm. that's a good price. Um, this I is mean, before the boom. Yeah, the boom. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure that sounds pretty cheap. Um, I will say... Yeah, I got it in Philly at the same place that I got a Arc Sega Dreamcast, like, arcade stick for, like, 30 bucks. So. And what was yeah. your overall impressions of the game? Because it's sort of trying to, like, mimic the survival horror, kind of, that was being pretty mm -hmm. popular at the time. Like... Ill Bleed, uh, Blue Stinger, uh, Code Veronica. Uh, yes, what, how do yes, you think it, they, these like compared? And like, um, what do you think about his take on the genre? I guess I was actually afraid to play this. Like, I owned it, but I was afraid to really get into it because I had played some of Code Veronica and just found it a very difficult game for me. Um, mm -hmm. Just in terms of like the save system and how quickly I'd die. Same with Illbleed. Like Illbleed also feels like a very difficult game and kind of scary. Like Illbleed mm -hmm. Il is like legit creepy. And so when I put this one on, I'm like, oh, this one's creepy too. And it's, it's probably going to be hard. So I made a lot of judgments on this game based on my previous 
uh, Dreamcast survival horror games. And p- having picked it up again, it's a lot easier than I remembered. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it is as easy as D, which I think is a pretty easy game. Um, but you know, I yeah, it. I wish I had had a better idea of what it was when it came out. You know, I think. Overall, the um, it was in Dreamcast magazines, but I felt like all they kind of did was uh, discuss interviews with Kinji Inu. Like he was like they were promoting him as a person, and I always felt like the game kind of took a back seat because we never really had a like I don't know like eight page spread the way the Shimu had about all the stuff it was doing new and how it was taking this genre to another level. This game might right. have not not been like super technical, but graphically, it did a lot of cool stuff. I've never seen a lot of Dreamcast games do, except for maybe like House of the Dead Two, which is a rail shooter, where like mm. these creatures were like dropping, their eyes were falling out of their head. They look super disgusting. I don't think I've played a game like that since House. Of, I mean, it, on the Dreamcast, only like maybe House of the Dead Two with monsters that ugly. Um, it has a very yeah. like. The thing feel to it, uh, the movie, at least in the beginning mm, of the game. Um, absolutely. Later on, it kind of gets a little bonkers. And I think s- people back then even complained about it, it being a little mundane with the gameplay being repetitive. I would agree that the third-person gameplay wasn't all fleshed out. You could tell this is the first time ever doing this. And it's pretty, like, uh, how do you say, small? The, the Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of, like, gets a little boring sometimes. But... It's also their longest game, nine hours, I would say, eight hours. I don't want, I'm just guesstimating. Um, Absolutely. I really like a lot of the, the way that they directed it. I like some of the models, the monsters, and I really, really like the music. Uh, it has its moments where it's really, really, really good, and then sometimes when it's a little generic, but it's up to people to judge that. We'll talk about the music later, but that's just my thoughts while we start the game. Mm. Let's. Let's talk about where we left off, right? Last time, Barry gave us a good look at the early career of Kinji Inu. So I I think it's important that we talk about him after the success of D. Uh, like Barry said on the podcast, D was a ma- massive success for the studio, selling over 1 million units. This uh, Even after Sony tried to sabotage it by uh, only shipping a low amount of units, I think most developers would probably have chased the success of D and like, Right away, just made D2. Like, okay. But he didn't, mm-hmm. even though he did bring back Laura. Warp made a tiny game right after this called Short Warp, which we talked about in the other one, which had, like, pervy mini games. It had 10,000 <laughs> units, and they were all signed by Kinji Inu himself. I just can't even imagine. Like, you, you sell a million units of D, and then you're, like, signing 10,000 uh, uh, units of these mini game. For the 3DO. Absolutely. I want to see if you can find that. That sounds awesome. To have his signature and having... Because it's like he touched each one of these games. He gave it the love and intention. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that means a lot. <laughs> that, that's how much he loves his fans. Uh, Kinji Ino would evolve Laura with the 1996 game Enemy Zero, which honestly deserves its own episode because it does some really unique aspects to the game. Uh, the dog's going crazy. Uh, comp- uh, ac- uh uh, and it actually has a lot of talent attached to it. I don't know if you actually looked into Enemy Zero and the people that worked on the game. But uh, it, it's been known for its minimalistic uh, music from English composer. What's his name? He did the music score for Gattaca. I don't know if I put his name here. Oh, Michael Ni- Nyman? Neiman? Newman? 
I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Gattaca, and he did a bunch of other movies. He's really popular in, like, orchestra scene. So, um, now I lost my place. But uh, during... Uh, that game definitely deserves its own episode. Have you played Enemy Zero? I own it. Um, it's the Japanese version, though, so I have mm-hmm. not really dived into it. I'd have to use um, a walkthrough or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, uh, just to bring it up, I did find Short Warp. There's two copies for sale on eBay. One's 50, one's 80. <gasps> I don't see any sign of him actually signing it, but maybe, I do see a card that's maybe numbered. Maybe I was thinking, yeah, maybe I'm thinking, well, maybe he didn't sign it. It's hand-numbered, though. It's hand-numbered. There you go. Maybe he did hand-numbered, yeah. not signed. Um yeah. So yeah, um, but one gameplay aspect of Enemy Zero that King G. Eno took to heart was it revolving around the game using sound. Uh, in that game, uh, enemies are invincible, so you have to use your sound to uh, figure them out. Uh, this led uh, King G. Eno to uh, designing 1997 Sega Saturn and later Dreamcast uh, game, uh, Real Sound, Kaze No Regret, or as it means, Wind of Regret. In, mm-hmm. Inji Eno would, uh, uh, oh yeah, he, he made the game because he got several uh, fan letters from uh, blind fans saying that they really appreciated the way he, uh, did, appreciated, I, I'm assuming Enemy Zero at the time, and then it made him come up with the idea for Real Sound, which is the first game as it was uh, marketed back then with no graphics. Yeah. Uh, while today game companies are working and talking about making games easier for disabled people, like Microsoft has a controller they built from the ground up uh, for people to have like they can't use their uh, their hands correctly, so they could it makes it right. easier for them to play games. Um, what are your thoughts about him doing this in the mid '90s and c- c- um, trying to design games around disabilities? I mean, I think it's very admirable. I think it's very cool. It's just a shame that like. This is the one game. Like, not, I haven't played it. I don't know how good it is, but that must kind of stink to be like, hey, are there any games for the blind? And being told, there's one. I hope you like it. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, having one video game that is really catering to you out of the entire, really, history of video games? I, I, that must I be do rough. Th- I think there's like little things that Japanese developers could do better to make their games. Um, easier for disabled people like people that are uh, impaired visually like i don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. this video there's a there's a blind player that played street fighter 5 and uh they talked about how he would put his headphones on and he could tell what side of the screen he was on or where the person was at by the sounds and how close the sounds were oh. to his so it, there's some sound design in some games that do work but obviously they're not catered from the ground up it just happens that they they learned about you know sight of sound i guess it's just sound design that happened to work for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have to agree. I think he was ahead of the curb here. And I, I was actually laughing when I was doing research on this because um, they were talking about how this is one of the most popular games for Japanese blind players to play. And I'm like, there's not that many games for them to play. So right. it's yeah. like a game from like 1997. That That's not good. Um what do you think about... Oh, sorry. I, I haven't even gotten into the freaking spoilers. We're going to be talking about spoilers for this game. I'll have a screen that says spoilers if you're going to play real sound. I don't think anybody will be playing real sound here, right? Um, you know who has... I was just going to interrupt you real quick. You know who does have games for the blind is the uh, Amazon Alexa. 
They oh. have interactive games that are like choose your own adventure, but you have to like keep mental notes on things. There's um man, what's that John Krasinski uh drama? Um uh Tom Clancy uh anyway, yeah, so that 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 does exist. There's a Scooby Doo one also. So um, there's visual novels in, in Japan, but I wonder how playable they are without the visual part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, sorry. I was just thinking. <laughs> it's all right. I was going to say, uh, Eno is the guy that pushed Sega to make real sound, seeing that uh, he basically burned bridges with Sony to support Sega and publish a million-plus seller on the Sega Saturn. Sega got exclusive rights for uh, uh real sound that was their exclusive that was their little agreement as part of the deal sega donated a thousand uh sega saturns to uh blind the, uh the blinds uh the the hospital for the blind in tokyo he donated mm. a thousand uh, par- uh units of his game out of his pocket since we'll never have an episode of win a regret because i mean let's be honest nobody played that game uh, in America, at least, and most likely won't get localized in English, thus making it unplayable for us non-Japanese speakers. Let's talk about the story, which revolves around the idea of fear and love, and was written by Ooh. Takamatsu Ogawa, who I was looking up. They said he wrote Enemy Zero in some Wikipedia entries, but I looked into the credits, and actually he was a sound designer for Enemy Zero, so it's like... Hmm. And it's also, there might be another person with the same name as him, but there's a person with the same name as him that is credited for, for doing sound design work on Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid Two, Metal Gear Solid Three, and Folklore for Sony. Um, but they might have the same names because when I look him up, if he's credited for D and Warp Games, he's not credited for the Square Enix games or, like, or Metal Gear Solid oh. games. So it might yeah. be one of those, like, they have the same name, right? Um, I mean, this happened with the Tales voice actor. Remember that? Yeah, and uh, the Wikipedia <laughs> entries for Warp Cat, uh, staff, it, it, it's lacking. I'll say that <laughs> after researching a lot and trying to track some of these people down, what they're doing and stuff for the future. Ep- well, later in the episode, it was kind of a pain in the ass. So, um, the game's story revolves around two young lovers. I've heard two things: elementary school and middle school. So, and high school. Mm. So. I don't know. Uh, Mitsu Sakura and Hiroshi Nonati, who fall in love in school and plan to secretly run away together, meeting under a clock tower. Mitsu never showed up, and shortly she is transferred to a new school. The game continues to follow Hiroshi in college and Mitsu as she's trying to basically uh, get a job. All of a sudden, there's mysterious uh, disappearances in the subway system. The game then puts you in the perspective of uh, of these characters, but then changes the story to a kind of like a narrator role where he's watching all the characters. Eno hmm. planned on Real Sound being a trilogy. The game was supposed to lead to more games. The dis- disappearances in the subway actually ties into the pro- the premise of the beginning of the game about the love. I, I don't know if it does. We'll talk about the spoilers in a little bit, but I don't know if it does. The sequel hmm. to this game which uh, we will talk about a little bit later, was meant to be a horror title. Um, Since the way the game works, it's a visual novel minus the visual part, and randomly uh, a user will hear a chim in the game, like a little bell, and that's when you're Mm -hmm. supposed to pick what part, where the story goes, and you get to pick the outcome of your story. It has three endings, but uh, so Mm. far, 
does real sound sound like something you'd like to experience mm. in English, or does or or does this deserve a second look by publishers? I would love to see uh, fans do a remake of this. I mean, you really would just need to replace the audio files on disc. We've seen that with um, Shenmue. They did uh, a re-release. It was the American version of Shenmue with the Japanese voices. Mm. So I could totally see... The only thing is you probably have to keep the time the same, you know what I mean? Like for each track. Yes, Um, yes. Which shouldn't be a huge problem. We see that all the time with dubbing. You know, you just probably have to talk a little faster or something like that. Um, The story itself kind of sounds like a Studio Ghibli movie. Like if you've ever seen the ones that are more grounded, it's always about like people being friends and moving away. And then there's like a weird little like... Uh, a supernatural bit like i'm trying to think like the cat returns i think it was um uh something like that you know um so i'd I'd love to try it i really hope some fans eventually make an english language version that would be awesome or at least subtitle a playthrough you know there's a lot of uh new dreamcast games and like sega saturn games are getting um translated by fans there's this russian guy that's been doing a bunch of dreamcast games and uh I mean, if he if he's listening to this, hey, dude, uh, Barry will do the voice for one of the for the female, and I'll and I'll do the male. Well, I, I actually love you think, so much. Yeah. I think I think they might both be female in this in this thing, Ooh. but I'm not, I'm not 100 sure because I and also it's ambiguous sex <laughs> that was later. Creepy. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the on Conan when he goes ooh and she goes I don't like when you do that. <laughs> what this? <laughs> 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 um, I'm, well, let's get into spoilers in the game. If you, yeah, let's spoil you, this game. You thought it was going to be um, weird. You thought the story was weird, or the concept of the game was weird. It gets even weirder. Um, oh boy! In a section of the game, we actually get images. Even if real sound is advertised as a no graphics type game, there's really there's actually pictures, and it's actually related to the story. But it seems to be low-resolution background photos of random places in Japan, including women smiling at the camera, homeless people, etc. As the game gets further Mm. into the story, the pictures become more intimate, showing off a small private apartment, uh, views of the balcony. The photos get more Christian as it depicts uh, Japanese valley girls wearing crucifixes. A part of the narrative is comparing Mitsu and Hiroshi's love to Adam and Eve. Uh, slowly, these pictures go from random everyday apartments walking around to slowly going into the sewer. The way that mm. the game the game has branching paths is that you have you get to explore different parts of the sewer if you have different answers. Uh, so I, it's kind of weird. So it'd be like you'd be somebody that's visually impaired and you'll be picking answers, and there'll be pictures on the on the screen, and you're in a sewer and you can't see, but like there's pictures, but you visually can't see as a per- the player. But there's visuals going on, like you're going into danger, but you can't see it. You know what I mean? So yeah. some of the endings seem like a dead end, um, like the standard obvious path, which is uh, the guy said uh, it's kind of like when you play a game and they you know they want you to answer this way. He did it that way first. He says that uh, the sewer starts. You, you get a. You go into the sewer that leads you to a dead cat, where you take a picture of it, <laughs> and it says "Congratulations" in really tacky word art. Uh, if you take the Maverick path, which is the Alpha Chad path, the one they don't want you to take, the game tries right. to avoid. Uh, you will get a different set of photos 
When you reach the sewer section, going further down in a different path, the last photo shows a ceiling of a sewer and in a canal with a uh, flat uh, the flash. They took a flash of the photo of a graffiti on the ceiling with a pair of eyes and hands, like with the eyes in his hands. Uh, yeah. If these two, if, if the last two paths were good and evil in terms of dialogue trees, the last and third ending would be the neutral path. Uh, this time, again, we have the photographer taking photographs going in this, into the sewer. Only this time he exits, climbing up the ladder leading to the surface world. As the light shines into the camera, the person turns, turns the camera and takes a photo of themselves looking into the lens. The image is blurred and pixelated. Hard to tell if it's even a woman or man. The person seems to be in a populated urban center where he they exit. The image sits and the screen gets to some... The same tacky congratulations word art, but this time it shows a cutesy pink and white uh, pointing to the person saying, "This is Mitsu." And a second la- uh, seconds later, the white giant kanji says, "Mitsu is dead." What? Uh, so now that we talked about the spoilers on the game, and we'll be moving on directly to D two after the spoilers uh, seem to have taken a. Uh, I guess it's a photograph of a serial killer. I don't know. Is uh, is part of the narrative yet? Uh, yet it's so okay. So, what do you think about the idea that the game is sold for the blind? Yet there's pictures and ideas behind it where it tells a narrative through the pictures in a way. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I I had thought at first it was just to make the game accessible for people who could see and they wanted to look at something. Um, and that's the problem. But, the the person that put the spoilers didn't talk about what they were talking about, what the sound on the screen was. He I like mean, fo- picks, yeah. he fixated on the photos, you know. Right. I mean, maybe they do describe it in the in the audio. I would have to imagine. I can't imagine like playing a trick on the player and being like, "Oh, you can't see this, but something real creepy is happening." <laughs> it's a, we unless love you. the thought is, yeah, unless the thought is that if you have someone who can see, they like bring it up with the person and then they have a conversation, you know, and it's like trying to, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I do. I do like Strange. the idea, the idea of like, it's kind of like a VR, you know, he would have made some really sick VR games if he was still around. Oh but, yeah. Um, like the idea when you play a VR game where people that are watching you play on the screen, they know something's happening, but you can't see it on the VR. So people right. getting tense stuffed around you would be like, okay, don't do that. And you're like, why not? I mean, yeah, look at this. You know, you don't know what's going on. That, that makes it a spectator game kind of, you know, a little cool. I thought that aspect of it was cool, but the whole, like, if you need the pictures, I can't play it. I can't tell you kind of ruins the experience for a blind, I mean, for somebody that can't see. So uh, what do you think about the ending? Uh, what does it have to do with fear and love, which is supposed to be two of the ideas behind uh, the story? I mean, I guess it's about loss. It seems to be. <laughs> Death. Um, uh, I The only thing I thought about maybe was that uh, Mitsu died um, in the future, and maybe this guy is like regretting that they didn't run away together, and now he saw that she's one of the missing people in the subway, and he's kind of having this uh, basically regret, whereas this weird story being told in this like fever dream. Oh uh, yeah, that could be it. Because she That's didn't creepy. show, she didn't show up to to their little runaway together, and all of a sudden she starts show she she's the dead person in the end of the story. So that's I, not creepy at all. That's not creepy at all. 
So let's uh, let, let me mention some of the cool aspects of uh, this game. Um, it uh, it was actually they had a one playthrough thing aired at uh, on Tokyo FM in 1997. Wish I was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Listen to that. That would have been interesting. Like stated before, Eno planned the series to be a trilogy with a sequel called Real Sound Kiri no uh, Left of Organ. That's what I would. That's what the organ, like the plain organ. That's what I read when I uh, when I did the translation. This is this one was supposed to be marketed as a horror game, even though the actual oh we actually had an advertisement for it. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, there was yeah. a commercial. Oh, and a commercial. Okay, I didn't know that, but I do know that there's an ad. Uh, Kenji's in page, it. Two page spread, and it never happened, which is weird, right? Like it got more promo than D two. It almost felt like. Um, wow. He says it never came out because of compression issues, which I think it was something that he really struggled with uh, with his games a lot because, like, they're like a thousand discs usually. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the aspects of this game actually made it into D2. I'm assuming when you go blind or uh, deaf, which is part of the gameplay in the game. Um, And the last one was supposed to be called Real Sound Spy Lunch. Lunch like (laughs) eating lunch. And it was supposed to be a comedy title, which, come on, is weird, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's um, really weird. <laughs> lastly, the soundtrack was done by Kichi Suzuki, who did who did the RPG series music for Mother, aka Earthbound games for Nintendo, and like every single Japanese composer actually contributed music for Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Anything you want to say about Real Sound before we leave to D two? Just that it's it's underrated, but I don't blame it for being underrated because it's yeah very inaccessible for for you know, us non-Japanese speakers. But, you know, if you're listening, if you are a uh, audio engineer or you have an interest in, you know, Dreamcast development, I don't know, try to assemble a team, make real sound English happen. I'd like that. Just for yes. me. Just for just for us, because <laughs> we want to play. We want to yeah. know what's up with the, with the story. We want to know what it says, you know. Uh, I think experiencing it is totally different than just talking about what somebody else Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Especially when it comes to these games. But anyway. Playthroughs are not a alternative to playing a game. Warp's first title came out in 1994. Um, they would add one title, at least one title, sometimes two. A year until 1997's A Real Sound. Um, like we know, he was meant to. Ha- he was supposed to be doing more Real Sound games. It didn't happen. Uh, this would mean that the studio wouldn't have released the game in 1998, but that changed in 1998 nine when Warped re-released Real Sound on the Dreamcast and then began promoting D2. But how mm-hmm. long was Kinji Ino working on D2 behind the scenes? According to the official Dreamcast Magazine interview with with him, he started two two years before it came out. Uh, some people were saving uh, even longer because uh, I think there's like interviews about him talking about this game like right after D. So, and then it was uh, we'll talk about it. But yeah, uh, before it was released in December twenty third, nineteen ninety nine, the early version of D two was actually not a Dreamcast exclusive, but meant to be on both. The Dreamcast and the Panasonic M2, a console that never came out. Uh, so, before we get into the interview, have you ever played? Have you ever heard? Or back in the day when we were growing up and we were all into games, and um, hmm. did you remember the Panasonic M2 being a thing? 
No, and I mean, I like Panasonic as a brand. I never thought of them as making a console. It seems like it's more in line with like the 3DO or even the Philips CDI, where it's like a a manufacturer of, I don't know, like televisions and things uh, making a console, which is not a problem, but it's just, it's interesting. I would have loved to try it. I like Panasonic. You have know. you uh, have you seen any of the games that are like are based off of M2 hardware? Like I, they kind of look like Nintendo sixty four games. Oh I really? Would say, That's yeah, interesting. It's not terrible graphics, but I think if you go on the on the Panasonic website, if you go all the way down on games, there's a list of a few games that released. Uh, I would we'll yeah. be looking we'll be looking at um, D two in a little bit. Some of the M two version of the game because they actually released it. <clears throat> but first, uh, I actually never heard of it growing up either, so I'm with you on that one. Uh, this is what Kinji Inu had to say in the interview. We've been working on this for about two years. D2 for M2 and, and D2 for Dreamcast are totally different. The initial stage of Dreamcast development, since we aimed to release simultaneously on the Dreamcast launch, which didn't happen... It was the same as the M2 version, but I just changed my mind to a different game... I have changed the setting and the game contents too. Also, I, the final version of D2 is different from what we first had planned. I am very glad that that with ah, he's very glad with the Dream Dreamcast's capabilities, D2 turned out to be like this. So he changed the game. He's, apparently, he was about. Let, let me see if I put it here. Okay, reading the actual plot of the old D2 would confirm this as the early version of the game Laura is pregnant and is riding in a mm. plane to Romania when the plane is struck by a supernatural force, resulting in the pl- plane crashing and her unborn child being taken by the devil to a medieval Transylvania castle, or to medieval Transylvania, the time period, to be given mm. to a weed- widowed duke who sold her soul for, for a son. The game actually revolves around Laura's son entering adulthood and trying to escape a large castle as he fights the devil to save his father. Confusing, yes, but some of the themes uh, here uh, really do go back to the first D, including the settings of the castle. While the D series is known for full motion cutscenes, the prototype had the story told in real-time graphics, so no cutscenes hmm. Uh, did you know about the penis? Oh, yeah, we already said that. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the game actually being about Laura's son? Do you think that would have been more interesting? And it kind of seems like it would have tied more into the idea of, like, your daughter or your your offspring, like D. Yeah, no, I, I, I like this, actually. It seems much more like something fitting of the D2 title. Um, I mean, you've got everything there that really sets up the gameplay that you did in the original D, except this time you're the son. It could easily be a follow-up, even if they say, oh, it's a different main character named Laura who looks the same. You know, like, because um, if I remember correctly, she survives uh, if you get the good ending. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. And I remember, too, when we um, did our last episode, I talked about how he was inspired by these... Um, point-and-click games that were inside castles and in, like, spooky settings. So it really seems like he kept trying to work on this format. Um, So it's interesting that he shifted away from kind of the same setting and the same sort of 
ideas. Hmm. I was going to say, uh, we're going to look at a clip. I don't know if you see it on the notes. I just added it under the question. Yeah, I see that. Um, this is the... Okay, so last... No, two years ago in 2019, somebody got a Panasonic M2 prototype. I mean, a dev kit. And inside mm-hmm. was an actual working version of D2. Uh, the old oh, one. Oh, wow. This is uh, like 10 minutes of footage. Uh, I'm just going to... You can click around on your side. I'll click around over here where people are looking at it. Um, as you could tell, it was totally different. It has like, uh, actual combat with a sword. They show a little bit of, it's very, he said it was 50% done before they finished, before he canceled it. So it kind of, obviously not playable, not super playable, but playable enough that there's like an actual like skeleton around it. You know, like he could have used this on Dreamcast and just updated a lot of it. Yeah. Later on, it shows you outside the castle. So instead of so, a lot of the gameplay of like running around outside, like in the snow, was actually in this game or this prototype. And it was like just their version, and it shows some effects they were doing on them too. But yeah, there's not that much in here. But it's interesting that he they were working on it. It kind of looks like a like a Sega Saturn game, doesn't it? Reminds me of the Shenmue prototypes on Saturn. Right, and uh, this was supposed to be teased for Saturn too, but he never officially announced it. He just teased it, like, "Oh, it's gonna happen mm. on Saturn, maybe one day." Um, but yeah, what do you think about this? And what do you think about Eno like being a year and a half into development and being like, "Scrap it, we're going all, we're going to the, <laughs> we're gonna be snow now," and uh, totally new engine on the dreamcast uh how would that make you feel as an artist like throwing away all that work i mean i've done it before as an artist um i can definitely understand you know how annoying it must be but also how probably refreshing it is to move on to hardware that probably has far fewer limitations i mean same could be said about yu suzuki with shenmue he did so much work even to the point of like developing things from Shenmue 2 and Shenmue 3 on the Saturn and scrapping it all. Um, even Sonic, I think they did some Sonic Adventure, like early prototypes on the yeah. Saturn. So it, it seems like it was a really, uh, just because the, the Saturn had such a short lifespan that it wasn't just D2 that was going through this. Um, so <laughs> we cannot talk about uh, D2 without talking about Kinji Eno and is like the way he promotes games is something else so actually when he was teasing the game all the way back in tokyo game show 97 before the game was officially showing off uh mm-hmm. typical Eno fashion he uh he he basically put up a booth but instead of it showing off d2 he said it was a he was celebrating cherry blossom season that was happening in japan he did this, for, so the event's three days. He did it for the first two days. Then on the last day, he finally showed off the D2 demo to uh, anyone that stuck around, I guess, for two days, right? Or, like, checking up, up on him. Like, did he release it today, or is he... Bit... So, what do you think about him uh, doing this? Like, basically wait, making people wait, uh, wasting two days of uh, foot traffic and, uh, I guess, reviewers and uh, critics and fans to do it whenever he wants just because why not it's funny that's why i mean i have to wonder was maybe the public day on the last day 
I don't, I don't know, but it it was so long ago. Knowing that back then it was probably just press, you know. Like I remember, like yeah. when did E three actually open up to the public? But then again, I know some people that said they went to the Dreamcast E three, and I'm like, why do they let you? You're not a you're not a journalist, dude. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Th- their daddy knew knew someone. Of course, I wish me I wish yeah. me knew people. Ah, <laughs> uh, so the next part is something I don't like to do because this story is so complex and there's so weird things where like characters pop in and then they leave and then you're like, what? What was that character doing here? Uh, all right. So anyway, if I get anything wrong and you want to correct me, it, this game is like a fever dream sometimes. So it is just like the original uh, version of the game. Our protagonist, Laura Parts Part uh, Parton Parton, is that how you say her name? Parton, like Parton? Dolly Parton. Ooh, so she's she's uh, related, you think? <laughs> is, hey, y'all. It, is it an air, airplane taking a trip to Canada instead of Transylvania? Uh, when suddenly the plane is attacked by cultist terrorists taking over the plane, on a onboard FBI agent named David tries to fight the terrorists, but the, the plane comes crashing down when a freaking mirror strikes and hits the plane striking it down to the Canadian wilderness. Of As course. we know, Laura is a digital actress used by Warped and Kinji Eno starring in uh she started in all the games Enemy Zero, D and this one. After a plane uh plane going to Canada is taking over by Okay, well, I don't know why I wrote this again. Uh I think I was trying to Okay. She is saved. She wakes up after nightmares with this character called Kimberly Fox who was actually in Enemy Zero. Again, another actress uh which Mm. i thought was interesting though because um i don't know i think it's interesting because i don't think uh japan had a pretty good depiction of women especially people of color like anything they didn't understand in japan it was really bad i feel like Eno kind of understood women and uh the minorities a little more i mean she's a poet she was she didn't have people of color yeah people of color in japanese games are almost always a big burly black guy Pretty much, Almost yeah. always. <laughs> so I'm surprised Kimberly is not a burly black guy. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Maybe. Uh, hey, Kimberly, hey, hey, Laura. <laughs> Kimberly explains she found Laura two days ago. Uh, she, But the plane crashed 10 days ago. She found her two days ago. So there's eight days that she didn't know what she was doing. Uh, she has amnesia. She doesn't know what happened. Uh, the And then at this moment, they're stopped by another survivor. One of the cultists who turns into a plant-like monster. Next, Laura and Kimberly meet Peter Parker, a CTI researcher, and another crash survival who kills off the monster. Since Kimberly doesn't trust him, he leaves. The game has Laura try to survive in the wilderness and find a way of contacting the outside world while seeking survivals, survivors, all while finding more strange and hideous creatures that lurk in the mountains. During the game, Laura is pushed deeper into the mining facility in order to rescue a girl named Janny. Janny? Is that hmm. what her name is? Who is a little Janie? girl that Kimberly says went missing, but uh, but she found her with Laura when she was in the plane site. I don't know how that works. I, how can a little girl run away in the in the winter? You know, it's like right. Come on. Anyway, what is your opinion <laughs> of uh, D two ex- uh, expanding and having more characters? The game actually has way more cutscenes, uh, and, and it was actually kind of panned for critics for having too many cutscenes. Uh, what are your opinion on the cutscenes now and then, or no, all this stuff? Okay, um, no, I like when we discussed D. I, I 
I don't know if it was a complaint of mine, but I did wish that there were more characters just for her to work off of, have conversations with. Definitely I mean, when it's just her. One. Right. Yeah. When it's just her and her dad, like it just seemed so small. So mm-hmm. it's nice that they opened it up. I like that they were bringing in characters from Enemy Zero. Um, as far as more cutscenes, like you have to remember this was a time when, you know, it there was just so much more that you could do in video games. And so I think a lot of um, developers and artists who felt like they were kind of, uh, their hands were kind of tied with previous games, especially in the like Genesis era, um, mm. they finally could tell stories. They could have cutscenes. I mean... No one's giving, I mean, I guess a lot of people give grief to uh, Metal Gear Solid for basically being movies with like little gameplay sections. But um, no, I, I don't have a major problem with the cutscenes. I mean, sure, the voice acting's not amazing. Then again, mm. people will, you know, s- claim up and down that Shenmue is the best Dreamcast game ever, and yet the voice acting is atrocious, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. 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 I would, I would say, um, <laughs> It has its problems. I think all Dreamcast games that were trying to be cinematic sometimes didn't go all the way because there wasn't a president. I mean, or a present. Like there was like mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid was like just came out. Some of these guys were literally working when the first Metal Gear Solid came out, and like there's not that many games that use full motion cutscenes uh, back then. So when I see something like Sonic, where I'm like, okay, Sonic Team could have definitely used uh, some uh, work here on the capturing of the mouth. It makes sense though because right. like especially this one where it was done in Japanese and it was a low budget game and then they had to dub it. I will say that I, I mean yeah. Sorry, go on. I was going to say I didn't no, I was going to um, say I like I didn't put in the notes but the American version uh-huh. also is censored. I read somewhere from Save oh. America back then that it's like 60 seconds they took out but the other people online are saying it's way more than that uh in the this is Sega of America from 1990. So, I mean, like, they could have lied to us, right? In the 2000s. So, um, right. one of them is a te- technical the technical scene where it, it doesn't show penetration. Uh, I guess in the Japanese one's a little longer. Uh, it shows a little more. Uh, so, I guess if you're going to play the game, uh, maybe Japanese if you want to see the tentacle porn. But we're going to be talking about spoilers in this section for d2 so if you want to experience d2 uh you should probably skip this part all the way till well i have an image on the video so you'll kind of see uh when it's over so i had the lizard last time remember that yeah i just put an image on here this is spoilers so um (laughs) the lizard's up uh the further (laughs) d2 goes the further we get to into more occult mysticism and doomsday talk as we find out that the main antagonist wants to bring back the shadow to create a Ooh. perfect society in his image. The game talks about gener- uh, genetic, inge- I put generic in- engineering, uh, genetic <laughs> engineering us. and clones. Uh, that should be my username online, gener- generic Gen- engineering. engineering. Um, I like that. <laughs> uh, which gets even more crazier as the game continues. It seems these mutated plants, monsters, came from them trying to clone a woolly mammoth. At the time, finding something else. Laura is a combination of a monster and human DNA, making her a messiah-like figure that needs to merge with darkness to save the world from Armageddon. Simple Hmm. and dimple. But the game ends with a 15-minute cinematic cutscene where Laura travels back to 1999... 
Was it 99? Yeah, before the New Year's, right? And ensures mm-hmm. that the universe stays at the right path. Here she meets her eternal protector, David, and she succeeds. Uh, he, he uh, We see all the good she has done from the starts of dinosaurs to cavemen. Then it starts getting a little grimmer with World War II, moon landing, the destruction of the Berlin Wall, ending with even worse uh, epidemics like starving children, uh, 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 showing that maybe Laura can't change the world and humanity is both beautiful and disgusting. I don't know. Wow. Uh, but the game ends with some stats. Uh, I They're not all the stats here, but... I did a nice little game for you, uh, for us where we're going to play a game oh. show. <clears throat> basically, I'm going to read the... the. So basically, uh, in the end of the game, there's a bunch of stats about the world, like how many people go hungry, uh, how, much car- uh, how much climate change is affecting us. And everything is from 1998 when the game was coming out. So I'm going to do an update to 2020 and see if any of these problems have been solved in the last whatever years we've been alive. I'm, I'm trying to do the latest, sometimes in 19... 2019, sometimes it's 2020 or, you know, whatever. So the first one, world population growth in 1998, about 78 million. How many do you think grew, uh, let's see, in 2020? Like just the year. What's the population now? Growth. I mean, like they said in 1998, it grew 78 million. Do you think it's in 2020 population grew up or down? Just in the year 2020. Up. 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 You're right, 81 million per year. The next wow. one, number of people infected with HIV virus worldwide. In 1980, it was about 100,000. In 1998, it was about 33 million. What about now? I'm going to say it went down, but not by much. Close. In 2019, it was about 38 million, so it went up slightly still. Mm. But, but you'd have to think in 2020, it's going to go down. Maybe, yeah. Because people I, weren't. 2019 yeah 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 yeah. i'm hoping so (laughs) um the next one is aids related deaths worldwide in 1998 about 2.5 million up or down up 2019 about six uh well 690,000, so less than a million so yeah definitely oh okay uh, okay. Number number of starving people worldwide in 1998 was about 83 million. 830 million. Up. 2019 was about 690 million, so it's down. Oh. And the population that. grew, so, I mean, you know, take that into account. That's something. That's something. Uh, Number of illiterate people worldwide in 1998, about 1 billion. Do you think we have more illiterates or less? Less. 773 million. So, yeah, less illiterate people, but less people using the brain. I think the internet was a reason. I think so, too. You know, people reading Facebook, they have to learn, you know, for the maymays. For the maymays. (laughs) You got to read memes. Yeah. Number of children worldwide who died from mal- malnutrition and related diseases in 1998. The- About 19,000 children die children died every day. Do you think this is more the children- grimmest game show I've ever been on? Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hey, well, it's a D2 game show. Uh, <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. So 19,000 up or down? Up. Nine, yeah, 24,700 people in 2019. Mm-hmm. 
So definitely uh, not good. Uh, but then again, like we said, uh, population's also gotten up. So maybe if we do the mathematication, still not good because I feel like we're getting fatter. <laughs> I mean, as we go along, it's, it's almost no excuse to not feed these children the bare basics. Um, yeah, we have to give a- people money. A- average life expectancy, 1900s, about 35 years. 1997, about 67 years. Uh, up or down? Up. Yep, 2019 was about 78.8 years. Ooh. So, yeah, oh, we're going to be living. How, how long are we going to live? Dude, I'm hoping for like 100, 102. <laughs> now, well, whenever the Dreamcast 2 George. comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rain forest destruction from 1980 to 1995 was about 772,204 came out remember that think well i thought it was because d2 said this and everyone was like oh we need to calm the hell down kinji yeah. gonna make another game and call us <laughs> out <laughs> yeah uh percentage of, of plant species species on the verge of extinction in 1997 was about 14 percent up or down i'm gonna say up yeah it's about 40 percent in 2020 yeah, so that's not huge. good um, total number of species to go and stink annually in 1998 is about a thousand. What about now? Up. You're, uh, you're right. In 2019, it was estimated from 10,000, almost all the way to a hundred thousand species might go extinct. And I got a good book about extinction, extinct animals too. You should check this out. It's good. Ooh, is those, uh, are those dinosaurs? Never heard it's of It's from the guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide. It's a travel log. He went and looked for... Uh, animals on the verge of extinction and he writes about it it's pretty good so now that we're done here uh what do you make uh let me put the spoiler image back up uh what do you make of the well okay what do you make of the ending did how did eno go from a horror game that felt like john carpenter's the thing to showing the negative effects of scientists experiments to basically going full woke at the end of the game (laughs) What do you think his message was with this game at the end? Um, you know, it's hard to say. With D, it it really just felt like a twist, you know, like an M, M. Night Shyamalan twist. But it made sense. You're like, oh, wow, D, okay. In this one, though, you know, there is no real D2. Um, <laughs> they don't tell you what D means, really. Maybe demon? I don't know. Um, the whole thing though, with shadow and DNA and all that, like, it sounds like Sonic Adventure too, I'll be honest. Cause Son- uh, shadow was a genetic experiment to create the ultimate life form. And didn't they use, uh, like alien DNA? It turned out like just crazy stuff like that. Um, as far as Laura being like a messiah and all that, it kind of reminds me of, um, that movie, uh, the Devil's Advocate. Remember that <laughs> with mm-hmm. um, uh, with oh man, who's in that? Um, Keanu Reeves and uh, Pacino. I think Pacino or something. But yeah, so it's just it kind of seems like 
of the time, there was a lot of like doom and destruction sort of stories being told in 1999 because people were, a lot of people were legitimately scared of what the new millennium would bring. And, you know, now looking back, it's kind of funny because it seems like all the things that they feared came 20 years later. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> well, if you were to tell these people, hey, it's not going to be the year 2000. It's going to be added 20. It's going to be 2020, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, also, with these statistics, I think it's Eno's way of bringing the real world into the game. I know a lot of people don't like when that happens. Um, but honestly, like, not every game needs to be escapism. Not every game needs to be just like a fun, quirky little thing. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't have the Japanese version of the game, but when you look at the American version, it's very Americanized. Like, it's just like, uh, a terrifying adventure, you know, features over 30 gruesome monsters. Like, I feel like these are not things that Eno would relatively care about. Like, I feel if anything, like, he would be putting statistics on the inside of the box or have like a postcard to send your grandma or something like just weird stuff like that. But <laughs> this true, one, I open it up true. and I just, I just feel like I'm looking at Shenmue, you know, like character Pretty faces, much. you know, and I, I kind of regret that they kind of stripped the uh, game of his personality and, and these sorts of things. Like this is the guy who would give you seed packets and condoms for free with games. So I guess this was his freebie was just like a bunch of downer statistics about dead children and AIDS. Uh, so, uh, you know. I, I, I did think about it a lot and I'm thinking, I don't know that the conclusion I came with, uh, you could tell me if I'm, uh, looking into it harder than anybody else, but like, so this idea that, uh, Laura, like this idea, of these scientists and religious cultists, it's kind of like the bridging of like how, in the 21st century or going into the 21st century, we had these like huge religious people going this, the doomsday, blah, blah, blah. And scientists saying doomsday because of all these ideas, but none of them doing anything about it. Like instead of right. the scientists actually fixing the world, he's trying to like clone Willy mammoths. It's like, bro, we got all these problems in, in the, the world. And your focus is cloning Willy mammoths and causing destruction and furthering damage and then these religious people want to, like, make the world what they want it to be, even though the world's already crap. So you're not really working with what you got. you just living in a fantasy right. of a different world. But, yeah. I think that's his little, like, him trying to uh, talk shit about science and religion. That's kind of what it felt like to me. <laughs> it's like, look, look at all these problems you guys have. What are you guys cloning animals for? I mean, what do we need animals right. for? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe pretentious, maybe a little bit, but that's how artists are, right? Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> I think one of my favorite aspects of D2 was the gameplay. While it wasn't perfect, I think it was wrapped, wrapped everything Warp did with their previous experimental games and sort of perfected it into something really interesting. While D and Enemy Zero played mostly... In first person, in FMV style looking, uh, looking games, D2 on the other hand was fully 3D, taking full advantage of the Dreamcast's hardware. There is even moments where the game looks even better than Code Veronica's, uh, Capcom's Code Veronica, if not at least rival it. That's my opinion here. But hmm. the game also draws, uh, draws back ideas that they used in previous games. For example, going into buildings or fighting would trigger a first person view mode. 
that's a throwback to the original. The uh, the fighting, like mentioned, is like a light gun game uh, type of shooting where you can't move and you shoot the enemies on screen. And then mm-hmm. you like get rewards and power uh, chips, I think. That's what it was. Um, Kinji Ino would also uh, play with the idea of taking away the player's hearing and sight, something that he obviously did in Real Sound and in Enemy, Enemy Zero. In the interview with the game, Eno talked about his thoughts on Shimu, where he said it felt like a game he would try to make. And D2 really convinced me that, uh, of course, that uh, he probably would make a game like Shimu. Like, sometimes when you're walking and opening the door, it takes so long. I'm like, bro, you Suzuki come in here and make this for you, or what? Do you just copy and paste it? <laughs> like, what's this? Right, right, um, where he's yeah. just like... Yeah, like that's the no no modern. It takes a special type of person that wants to see that intention to detail to put that in. Right, you know? exactly. Uh, there are also a few aspects of the game that I felt uh, that I thought were kind of modern, that surprisingly modern. Like, for example, the hunting aspects for food, the ability to, for uh, Laura to use her uh, her camera just to take photographs, nothing else, just to enjoy the scenery, and you can save mm-hmm. them on your VMU for later viewing and sharing. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but photo modes are actually something that has been added to a lot of new games lately. Like uh, mostly Nintendo games and uh, Sony titles all have like these like really in depth photo modes. I guess people are really into sharing photos now with the social media. So imagine right. yeah, yeah. this game. Um, what uh, <laughs> What are your thoughts on the about the gameplay of D two? Is there any aspect aspects of the game that you dislike that didn't work and uh, Anything that if they ever made a sequel, you would like to see like further refined? I, I think what I like about the gameplay is it's very varied. Um, playing it, it actually kind of reminded me of, of course, Shenmue, but also um, Headhunter. Um, mm-hmm. Just in that, like, you jump on a motorcycle in Headhunter, and in this you jump on a uh, snowmobile. And oh. that's not something I... You would see in games that off that much back then um the fact that you typically were just a character who walked around um if you did get into something it was usually like a stationary gun or something like that um i remember it kind of really became exciting with um halo with the warthogs so mm-hmm. it was just kind of fun to see these like uh full roaming adventure games just like give you um new modes of transportation. I think my complaint would be though, that there are like a lot of areas that just feel like corridors. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just kind of walking up a hill and then you hit the side of a mountain and you know, nothing really interesting. Um, I also think the light gun game ideas is, is fun. It kind of reminds me of, um, man, what's that game for the Sega CD snatcher, you know, where mm. it's like, it's an adventure game, and then all of a sudden it's like, do light gun stuff. And it's fun, because I actually really appreciate when games throw in like a retro sort of gameplay style to uh, act as a stand-in for combat. Um, I guess maybe a modern one would kind of be uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, you know, where instead of being a fighting game, it just throws classic RPG elements at you, which I think is kind of fun. Um so yeah, overall, I, I mean, I, I think it's a fun game. Um, varied, for sure. Imperfect. But um, yeah, I, I think overall more worked than didn't work, at least for me. 
I think that like I I know this is gonna sound weird for like fans of House of the Dead, but like a RPG survival horror uh, House of the Dead game could work with like light gun gameplay, you know, for the action oh, scenes with, with some talking branch dialogues and like whatever you choose or whatever is a different outcome in a different stage. I mean, that, I, I just thought when I saw D two, I was like. I could see something bigger for like a light gun game, you know what I mean? Because of the way they did it Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So I thought it was cool that aspect of it, and that's something I would obviously want to see them do more of if they ever. Uh, well, it's never going to happen now because you know Kinji Ino has passed away, right. but that's what I would have wanted to see. But uh, let's talk about the muse. Oh, oh, I got to go through all these. Uh, oh no, I got to go. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the music. Um, this is the, what I say, the uh, first, well, let's see. The game was directed, written, produced, and partly programmed by Kinji Hino himself. But guess who composed the soundtrack as well? Him, of course. Because, I mean, if you're <laughs> going to be directing it, writing it, producing it, and also be a programmer on the project, you might as well do the music at this point. Um, of course. But yes, uh, that uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to put the pictures up here on this side. It's just that I went all the way back. Oh, here we go. Um, uh, so yeah, that's how involved he was with the game. You could tell this is like his pet project. Uh, in Kinji Ino fashion, the soundtrack is pretty compelling and unique. First of all, with the naming of the tracks, each track on the soundtrack from disc one, there are 24 tracks on the disc. Each one is called Distraction. Like, that's all. Distraction number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then it starts again for to 15. <laughs> and then yeah. the second one was called Decode, the songs on the second disc. And there was only two songs. The soundtrack, sadly, has only seen one release back in December 17th, 1999, in Japan only, as part of Sega's Mill CD. Remember those? Do you know mm. what those are? M-I-L-C-D. Remind me, because I kind of feel like I've done something with this recently. So, uh, a mill CD stands for Music Interactive Live CD, created by Sega in 1998 that added multimedia functions to normal CDs that you would be able to use on the Dreamcast. Sadly, no major Hmm. labels actually supported it. Uh, There was eight CDs that came out. Two of them were Sega releases. Some of them were like Japanese bands that were released, uh, or like Warner Brothers released like one, I think. Uh, hmm. One of the albums was D2 soundtrack, and the other one was called Space Channel 5, Ooh La La, the movie. Those are the only two Sega ones that were released in Mill CD. Uh, Sega actually stopped. Oh, I actually put it on here. Uh, do you own any Mill CDs? Uh, Mill CDs were the reason that Dreamcast got hacked early. In hindsight, it was a bad move. But do you think Sega should have upped the security on the Dreamcast? One of the things that was crazy about the Dreamcast was how unsecure it was. Like, literally, it took, like, a week for people to hack it. So it's like, all right. But, yeah, the way that they first <laughs> booted uh, fake games were because of the Mill CD technology. They uh, they exploited it. That's why uh, future Dreamcast games didn't even support it. And they stopped it. They just forgot about it. Like, obviously, they buried it because even us hardcore fans don't really talk about it, right? Right, yeah. No, and I know you're asking me if I own any. I don't. I knew of the format, but I guess I just didn't think much about it. Like, that there were actually releases that played on the Dreamcast. Yeah, 
I, I kind of want to pick one up. I have, I'm sure there's videos online on what it came with. You know, collectors online probably did videos on it. I think it's interesting. Right. Have you ever bought in a, I guess, a CD that came with a some sort of technology that tried to add multimedia to it? Yes, I have um, a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a handful of discs for the Sega CD, which can do the, um, I forget what they call it, but it's like the karaoke discs, mm, you know, where yeah, you put yeah. it in, it plays music, and there's graphics that play. Um, of course, the intention is to have uh, the lyrics play, but sometimes people get creative and they'll put images up and, and things like that. So there was... Um, it was called rock rock music or something or rock paintings i forgot what it was called um but yeah yeah there's been a few releases okay um the only one that i remember was like way back when i was leaving high school i um this band i don't know if you ever heard of the band in 2005 released an an album um judas priest they were really really like popular i was really into them Mm -hmm. um and they released this album called Angel of Retribution, and like they had this new disc format on it, where like uh, one side it was the CD, and then like you would flip it, and it would be like a DVD. It was basically a DVD and CD, but just double sided. But they were trying to push it at like this new format that was revolutionary, and that the the DVD had the better sound, and that uh, that's the way you should be listening to it. Literally, never heard about it after that album came out. So I don't know. Um, so yeah, there's a been there's been a lot of people that've been trying to do multimedia CDs for a while. Uh, sadly, this didn't happen for Sega. Uh, this would be the first of the D series of games that was a- that Eno actually wrote the soundtrack for, even though he felt like he was a musician and not a developer in his early career. It seemed he was happy to let other musicians he was a fan of compose the soundtracks, according to legend. Eno locked himself in a hotel room with uh, uh with composer Michael uh what was it Newman or Neiman mm-hmm. until he recorded the Enemy Zero soundtrack in six hours. Uh, what are your thoughts on the D two soundtrack? Do you think it has its own style compared to the rest of the games? I do know there's like some acoustic tracks that randomly show up that I really really like. I I really like acoustic tracks. A lot of it was like dance music, right? Sometimes. Right. Yeah. So what are your thoughts I mean, on the It's good, it's unique. I don't know if I'd like put it on to like mm-hmm. hang out to, but um now that you talk about Mill CD, I'm just look I was looking at eBay and I can't find any of them. <laughs> None of them oh. are up there. So when you whenever you everything opens back up and you go to Japan, you'll some lady will just give it to you randomly. Oh, show I'll show you. up and I'll be like, "Do you have any um Mill CD? Arigato, do you have any Mill CD?" <laughs> Arigato, ma'am. <laughs> Arigato, ma'am. I would love it, dude. You can do blog style <laughs> videos on our on our channel when you go. What's up, guys? Look at this guy. This guy didn't sell me mill CDs. This asshole over there. Yeah. It, what do you? Would you shame them? I was gonna say, um, but yeah, the soundtrack for me. Shame. Unique, cool. I'm glad that Kinji Ino was so involved in the last game that he created. So I'm happy about that. So I'd say outside of uh, Kinji Ino interviews, him doing public appearances in Japan. uh, So I don't think there was that much advertisement for this game. Outside his interviews, outside some stories, there wasn't really commercials. There wasn't really ads. Even though we got ads for um, Blue Stinger and Code Veronica, I this one went under the radar. So so let's talk about his legacy. Unless you want to say, do you agree that... uh, 
this game wasn't really hyped. I mean, you said yeah, right? No, not at all. Not in America. I mean, you didn't even see like those uh, party inside the Dreamcast commercials with like the D two with like Laura partying with Sonic. You know, they didn't do that. Floygen Brothers got in, but not Laura. They should have definitely done Laura. Like she's a digital. Her and Ula La, like going back and forth as the two idols, would have been so funny, dude. Because they're both digital That'd actresses. Have been awesome. But yeah. uh, so, so let's talk about the legacy. This is probably some stuff that some people won't like to hear on here, but D2 was panned by critics at the time of release. According to Met, I don't want to say pan pan, I would say lukewarm. Uh, Metacritic right. for the game was a sex, sexy 69%, but the user score mm. is actually 8.0. One of the biggest complaints is that the game moves pretty slow and had repetitive aspects to it. Here's a snippet of a few reviews I took down. GamePro said, Taken with a healthy dose of tolerance, D2 really shouldn't be a bad game to add to your collection. Planet Dreamcast gave it a 45% saying, Although D2 is stylish as other warp titles have been proven to be, it just isn't any fun. And my rate of complaints make it a rental at best. All Dreamcast... You remember when there were so many Dreamcast sites? Everyone had their own, like... They had, like, IGN and then Planet Dreamcast, which was IGN. I remember, and, yeah. Yeah. This was called... <laughs> All Dreamcast gave it a of 60% and he said, an almost complete lack of gameplay, very cheesy dialogue, and a whole lot of boring repeti- repetition keep Kinji Eno's latest creation from being anything more than a complete dud. I think it said dude on Ooh. the actual one, which uh, could uh, be what the D stands for. Just kidding, uh-huh. I think. <laughs> Passive aggressive hate. Um... So, what do you think about... I mean, I do agree that there's some repetitiveness to the game, but the game is, like, less than nine hours. So, to me, it's like... Right. Are You guys are acting like you guys were playing a 80-hour RPG that you did the same thing over and over again for 80 hours. And when it's not that long, I would say it's a bit repetitive. They do have some good points here, but as you can tell... User score is 8.0 and uh, definitely 20%, almost 20%. Uh, higher no actually no it's less it's like 11% but still it's still a lot higher than uh, the reviewers so I think fans uh, agree with us and not you so screw you dude Um, what's your (laughs) what do you think about all these sites that you that reviewed the game back in the day I don't remember what what Dreamcast magazine reviewed it but I don't think they did I think they might have not had time to do this one I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they they got to it in time. I mean, the magazine folded, but um, I'll have to look into it. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I can't complain too much about other people's opinions. I'm not them, but I, I do think it's interesting looking back at these so many times when people go, I'd rent it, rent it. And I'm like, yeah, it's easy to say rent it in 1999. You go to Blockbuster Video or whatever. Nowadays, we can't rent anything. You know, like, I think it's so funny. You see reviewers nowadays and they still kind of throw out the rent, like, uh, buy it, try it, or skip it. And I'm like, well, what's try it? Like, how do you try a game? You know? We, we got we to start a, uh, a rental shop where we just rent retro games and retro movies on VHS. That way oh people are like, try it. And they're like, oh, can I please saw rent Pan's Dragoon Saga? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Let me get way You know right what's going to happen. They're going to well, rent it, and then it won't come back, and then they have to pay the late fee. 
which, which is ten thousand dollars. <laughs> that that happened with uh, Netflix when they were doing the DVDs. They still do, and people would be like, "Oh, this went out of print. It's worth a hundred dollars." But the disc is on Netflix, so people would rent it, never return it, and then pay like twenty bucks. You know. Well, we'll, we'll charge them actual book, you know, value of the game plus twenty percent interest <laughs> for our time. Um, That's that works. I like that. Um, so Kinji Eno stepped away from gaming after D two. Um, during promotional, he would actually tease that he... Like, it's kind of weird because when he was promoting D2, he didn't just come out and say, this is my last game. You're playing the last game I'm ever going to do. But when hmm. the game came out, he started saying he was leaving gaming. But when he was promoting the game, he did talk about the future of the of Warp. He would he kind of teased that there was a... He talked about Real Sound 2. He still said it wasn't happening at any time, but... He also talked about an RPG he was making, which didn't really have that much detail, and even talked about the rumored Game Boy vi- video game he was supposedly working on. None of this saw light of day. Um, so <clears throat> here is what he told uh, GameStop, GameSpot back in the in the day. <laughs> uh, we're not sure. We have other projects that we can't tell you about for the Sega Dreamcast. We've been using hard, the hardware for about three years now for developing our games, and I think we are one of the companies quite comfortable using the hardware. Even though it seemed at this point he was going to continue making games, he surely semi-retired by stepping away from gaming, saying, There was no single huge reason that I decided to step out of game, video games, but there were a lot of small ones. D2 didn't sell particularly well, so I decided it was time to, time to step away and take a break. This was in 1999 or maybe 2000. Uh, his break and stepping away from the industry kind of lasted a whole decade almost. Um, hmm. What is your opinion uh, on someone like Kinji Eno stepping away from gaming? Pretty much, in my opinion, in the prime of his career because D2, I think it culminated to a lot of like, oh, we're experimenting with D and then Enemy Zero. And I think this was where he put all of it together. Finally, and right. then he just gave up. He's like, didn't sell enough. I'm out. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I'm trying to think of like artists who had such a like. I mean, he was what he worked in gaming from the late '80s mm. to the late '90s, right? And then he kind of returned briefly. Right. But you know, I, I I'm trying to think of like other game developers or even film directors who had like a brief career and then died young. I mean, I can only think of actors, um, you know, like uh, James Dean or Heath Ledger or something like that. But Eno is, he's a different one. He's, he's like a guy who made some really interesting groundbreaking games that people did not see as being groundbreaking at the time. And then he, he stepped away, you know, like I, I really can't think like he's almost like and we I I talked about it on the last episode. It's kind of like if George Lucas made Star Wars and Star Wars failed and no one wanted to see it. And then he just like quit making films, you know, which he he would have, you know. And so it's like, yeah, if he made Empire and then he made Return and then he's like, I'm out. I'm done right here. And then all of a sudden, like (laughs) he dies and then all of a sudden his movies are basically like these cold classics i would say i mean i guess like but you know i would say only had really like maybe one big game of his career which was d 
and that mainly sold really well in Japan. So Pretty it's much. almost like he he did get another chance and another chance, but the games he released just did not do as well as he wanted to. And you also see this uh, when we discussed D. He was like, if this game does not sell well, I quit the industry. I can see and him he making did it again uh, here. Deals. Yeah, I can see him making you know? deals like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I guess he, I mean, like we talked about, he directed it, he wrote it, he produced it. He did almost everything on this game. This is his baby. Right. And it failed. Definitely could see him being very heartbroken over that and not wanting to work on other projects, especially on Dreamcast. Because right. he said it was, it was a lot of little things. And I think the promotion for the game was terrible in America. And I think he, I mean, I think I don't think he'll ever, he ever said it, but let's be honest. Would you be you happy? Where, yeah, I mean, he was a guy that like loved promoting games, you know? He obviously did all these weird things because he knew to sell games, and Sony of America just super half-assed his game. Sadly, right. So, uh, so what was Kinjo Ino doing during the decade? He renamed his studio from Warp to Super Warp, and then changed from working on games to creating DVDs, network services, and online music. Um, according to Wikipedia, he worked on twenty to. 30 highly diverse projects, including creating cell phone purchase interfaces for Coca-Cola vending machines, uh, hmm. marketing cigarettes, and designing trendy hotels. While Super Warp seemed to be successful, King Jaino would disband it in 2005 and said it was his him distancing himself from the Warp name and its past. But it gets a bit confusing because while Super Warp was disbanded, according to Wikipedia, he renamed it Yellow to Orange in 2001. But I mm. think that might be an error, maybe 2006, because, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. The dates are wrong. Some of these Wikipedia entries for uh, King Gino's, like, the dates are all weird. So he did name it. Uh, there's a website for it still up, uh, Ye- Yellow to Orange. So that is a website. Um, it is a thing. So uh, regardless, at the time, he hinted in 2006 that he might have a project for the Nintendo Wii. Kinji announced the game You, Me, and the Cubes in in, uh, EGM magazine. Ino would team up with Kenichi Nishi, who worked on Chibi Robo and uh, Captain Rainbow games for uh, Nintendo. Other games are, I think... Hmm. Kind of underrated. I mean, most Nintendo games are known by everyone, but nobody really plays Ch- Chibi Robo or Captain Rainbow. So, I would say he's kind of underrated in in a way for Nintendo publish publisher or published creators. According to Nishi, the reason that Eno contacted him was because he wrote a big detailed post about good curry, which made <laughs> Eno contact him to talk about the food. He didn't talk about gaming. He actually wanted to talk about curry. Uh, Eno talking about his return. This is what he said. I was thinking about coming coming back into games sooner than I actually did, but it was hard for me to get into the mood. Uh, <clears throat> what, uh, According to the article, it says, what jolted Eno back into gaming was the introduction of the Wii controller. He says, one day I was watching a streaming video on the web just by chance of Nintendo president Satoru uh, Iwata uh, demonstrating the Wii Mote. Uh, after hmm. the presentation was over, I couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head. He says, "It got to the point where using a piece of paper, I made a 3D model of the controller for myself. I got in contact with the people at Nintendo, and off we went." Uh, while the Wii game You, Me, and the Cubes went under the radar, it actually got a higher Metacritic than D2 at a nice nice 79, percent 
with people hmm. saying it's unique gameplay, highly addictive multiplayer, and lively characters as positives. While users gave it a 7.0. Some people are saying that it's more about luck, the games, hmm. than it is actually puzzle solving. Uh, have you played the game? Um, you, no, me, I haven't. I'd, I'd like to, but it seems like it's WiiWare, so you can't anymore, right? Yeah. Unless you hack no. your Wii. Or if you go on Windows on your computer, download the emulator Dolphin, and then pirate it. I mean, I yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's free. I, I know people are going to be like pirating, pirating. I'm like, tell Nintendo to get yeah. the WiiWare games and put their asses on the Switch, and I'll go buy it on my Switch and I'll play it on my Switch. Not a big deal. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not afraid of paying for it, but. When you literally don't let us do anything, it's a little like uh, kind of weird. So here's a tra- we got a trailer for it. Uh, you uh, did I put the link on here? I'll put it on right now. I don't think I did. Or you could just Google it, but I could put it. I'll put it under the question on the on the notes. Gotcha. Tell me when you're uh, ready. Ready. Hmm. <laughs> Somewhere else, there are strange creatures called Phalos. Oh, of wow. course. You can create Phalos within your Wii remote by shaking it up and down. It's like an explanation, right? Of the game? Then I guess so. It's supposed to be the trailer. Oh, they're people. Yeah. So you have to keep it. So you have to balance it and help them not to fall off. It's kind of like Choo Rocket, I guess, in a way. You have to like guide them. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Do they go anywhere they want, so you have to figure out their patterns. So this is gonna be complex. Look at how many people there is in this one right here. Ridiculous. You do this. You know, it reminds me too of um, Crush. Mm-hmm. Or like the look of the, his new games or whatever. Always like we'll we'll look at the new one that they're try, they were trying to kickstart after he died. But they always mm-hmm. all these games always look like um, what's his name's game um, that left Sega. Oh, the Luminous. Those puzzle games. Yeah, yeah, the it looks the like that beats. for sure. It definitely reminds me of this or his res or his uh, Tetris effect that he made after even that. So it's like, I don't know if they're friends and he's expired by it or they all just, everyone just came in Japan, came up with the same idea for the look of stuff. So interesting. <clears throat> during the same time, he also worked that he worked on you, me and the cubes. He also did outsource work for some mobile games, including composing for Nitonica 1 through 3 and designing One Dot Enemies on the iPhone. They're all iPhone games. Um, it really seemed that Kinji Ino was out of the industry from 2010 all the way to his death, sadly. Not to say that he didn't have projects in the works or ideas that he was working on, but he didn't release any games during this time period. Um, let me put the page up. Oh, no. Um, from on, uh, on February 20th, 2013, Kinjo, Kinji Ino passed from hypertension. 
leaving behind a legacy of games that, frankly, he tried to run away from in the last 15 years of his career. But seeing Mm -hmm. his legacy, the types of games he jumped from making... uh, So my thing with him is like, okay, so he made all these games. He tried to run away from these games, but I feel like the games that he ran away for are basically going to be his success story. Like, I think when people look back at him... uh, they're going to be thinking about D, uh, Enemy Zero, uh, D2. These are games and franchises he didn't want to be associated with in his later life. Do you think we... I mean, I personally think that... Uh, what were your initial thoughts when he passed away? And do you think we wasted a lot of years of ideas that he could have came up with because of his like leaving the industry and refusing to come back? I... You know, it's hard to say. I feel like if he hadn't passed away, he would have probably just continued to do what he's doing, not do too many video game things, and kind of fade away in, into obscurity, and people go, oh yeah, I remember D. I mean, I honestly, I think his death put a spotlight on his games. I don't think we would be doing this episode, especially with like a two-parter, if he had not passed away, which sounds unfortunate, but like, you know, we're all going to die. You would like to have some oh good God. come from your, oh like, you know, like leave. Right? Don't tell Sorry everyone. To tell Don't tell everyone about um, that. But, <laughs> but you know, it. It. I. I'd like to have leave some sort of legacy or have people remember me. And you know, if if that's the positive, then that's the positive that we remember his games and we're actually playing them and paying more attention to them than we would have uh, had he been alive. But. You know, it's just, it's it's such a real shame. Um, and when I, I learned about it, I just knew of D and D2. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, it was just, I didn't know he was so young. I didn't know he had such a small gameography. And I, there's so much I've learned about him since then, especially from doing these. So I, I, I don't really know. It, I it's a it's jumble a little, of thoughts. I think it's, uh, it's tragic that he didn't get to like live out the VR era that we're living in because I think a lot of his games would have kind of benefited from having VR. I think he would have been excited. Yeah. As you can tell, he was excited about the Wiimote uh, and it spurred him out of depression or, or at least gaming or uh, designing funk to come back to the industry. So I would say VR might have been the next logical step for the man. But he wasn't completely done uh so let me uh go to the notes he supposedly well he passed away to uh without fulfilling a lot of projects three years later before his passing in a previous unpublished interview Eno told kotaku about real sound 2 he said yes i'll make one sometime i promise Eno said with a laugh i apologize if i say that and i end up dying Little oh, did he realize the impact of his words would have years later. And this is what Kotaku yeah. uh, wrote. He ended the interview with Kotaku talking about making games saying, simply put, it's hard. Game development is hard. Uh, it's long, And it's long. Even when you're done, you still have days of endless testing and adjusting. I never want to do that again. A year after his passing, an unannounced game he was working on uh, made this rounds online. The game was called... Kakakun or Kakuzun, uh, that was supposed to combine the idea of mathematics and the universe uh, and the universe where players solve math problems against a 3D environment. 
The game at the time uh, was in the works for PC and smartphones. And according to Naoya Sato, programmer of the D trilogy, the company, including a lot of past Warp members, employees launched a crowdfunding campaign to make the game. The game was supposed to launch a year after his death, and they were trying to get $146,000. The campaign would mm. be wiped off the internet. Like, I can't access it. There's two of them that he did. And then they would later come back again on Indiegogo in 2014, this time for an additional 47000 This time, there was an actual trailer with some gameplay. Um, the trailer's uh, on your uh, thing. We're not going to yeah. watch all of it. I'm going to skip through it if you're watching it on the video. But it's basically a lot of shapes and like kind of what me, you, and the cube or like it, you would expect an indie game to look like. Maybe go three, 30 minutes, 30 seconds in. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like weird... It kind of reminds me of Res or that other game that the Res creator made, The Child of Eden. Yeah. Graphically. So it's a very weird game. It has like tethering and like uh, like I don't know. It's weird. It's it's like I don't know what he was inspired to make with this game. Uh, a mathematical game seems weird. But what's your? I mean, sadly, all the fundraising sites have been deleted by Warp Two, and we don't know if it really got funded or not. But doing some googling before the game completely fell off the radar, one of the last stories online was that the team was hoping right. for a Christmas miracle in funding. So I will say it probably didn't happen uh, since, well, obviously we never got a new game. You can go on their website. Uh, I think if you, that video I sent you is their actual uh, uh, YouTube account. And the last time was five years ago, the last update. So what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, what is it called, the... Uh, Kakazun, and would you have thought Kinji Ino would make a math game? <laughs> like, as one I, of his... What I find really interesting is that you take uh, his first, the three those three games, and then you compare them to these later games. Like, as we were um, talking earlier, I downloaded um, One Dot Enemies. Oh, yeah, you got it? Um, yeah, so I got it here. It's free. Oh, there so you, you go. you can download it. Um... But it, it no personality. You know, it just it. This is the screen. This is the game. Look, there's nothing on the screen. Um, nice. I, I <laughs> Maybe it's made by. It. Oh my god! There are enemies. They are a pixel. Ooh, graphically like amazing. You can't. Can you see that? You can't even see them. They're little. There's one. You see it? No, it's too right bright. There. The phone. Yeah, no, you can't. See. Oh, oh, I got that, it. Yeah, that's and. Uh, um, I don't have an iPhone, so I can't play it. Oh. They look like there are like um, bed bugs on your phone. Um, this is actually kind of neat, but it, it does not feel like it's the same guy. And so no. I have to wonder if he himself decided to take a break from realism and from demons and deep stories and just become a developer to make really games. wacky little games. Um, the only comparison I could make is maybe Yuji Naka. When he went from Sonic Adventure and Sonic 06 to uh, tap the teddy bear and make him stand up. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, on the Segabits Discord, I think I I was a little mean to him. I think I, I said maybe he never was a great developer. I feel bad saying that now. But, uh, you know, I do have to wonder. Like, some of these guys, like, 
you know, we, we praise Yu Suzuki, but then when Shenmue 3 comes out, like, Ryo Hazuki's, like, eating every five seconds so he can run. You know, like, these are weird decisions. These are bad decisions. Um, it's almost really like sometimes having a big company come up to you and saying, uh, you're not doing that. Is it might right. be like a good idea. Yeah, and so I I don't know if he's ever really experienced that, but it seems like taking away warp and really giving him a much smaller uh budget and everything, he has created some pretty interesting things, but like one dot enemies is a huge departure from D two, just as this uh Kakakun or whatever it's called, um game Kaka-Zoon? is Kakazoon. Yeah, That's it what... just I looked at the and name I can see why and they it, were saying it, and that's how they said it in the video. So I was like, Kakuzoon. Right, and I just, I guess I can't, I can't, I can see why it didn't get funded, because it does not scream Kenji Him. Ino. No. No, yeah. At all. Um, but that might showed, be him, because yeah. because we saw you, me, and Dupree, or whatever it is. You, me, and me, the cubes. The cube, there you go, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What other games from his past do you think or would like to see resurrected or remastered in a way? I would like to see a fully 3D version of D. I think that would be really cool. I think a fan, I think fans could easily do that because they are really simple environments. Um, and going first person would be easy too. I'd also love to see um, D2, of course, released to modern, at least to Steam. I think that would be nice. I don't mm-hmm. think you're going to see it on like Xbox or anything. Um, and then real sound, like we talked about, I'd like to see that translated. So, and then his back catalog, like there's some weird things that have never released over. And at this point, like just do an, a celebration collection where it's like D, D2, Enemy Zero, real sound with the first ever English translation and some wacky things thrown in. Why not? You know, yeah. celebrate the guy. I would love to see uh, Real Sound 2 or 3, like the script or any like uh, progress he, he had done for it, release. Like, if we're not going to get the game, I would rather see what his idea was for a trilogy. I would love to see what he wrote for a comedy game. That would be interesting. But that's the end of our episode for D2. Uh, Barry was going to read... Uh, well, you you want to sell, say bye to the guys and then read the Patreon message? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, thanks for watching, and we'll be back next time. I don't know what we're going to be covering, so that'll be a surprise. Um, but if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get to have your memories read at the end of the show, unless you pick the episode and then we read it at the beginning of the show. You also have the option to submit an MP3 file if it's your game that you picked, and we'll play that with your beautiful voice but um let's see who has commented this time we have a few here we have jake work cock la <laughs> um and he said we're cock we're uh when i first played d on the 3do in the mid 90s i was blown away oh look at that wow um by how atmospheric and scary it was i remember reading in magazines about a sequel coming out for something called the M2, and I was totally on board for this mystery system. Then it was canceled, and I ended up not getting around to playing D2 until around 2015, for whatever reason. And when I did, I was surprised by how much I dug it. 
The weird over-the-top story and campy voice acting really did it for me. There's something about the late 90s and early 2000s, early 3D graphics and mediocre voice acting that I have such a strong nostalgia for. Yeah, it definitely is a um, a, uh, a nostalgic thing now to have bad voice acting. Um, for sure. Nicholas Schaefer says, I had no knowledge of this series until your last episode, and now I'm stoked for the next pod. On D2, we definitely lost a wonderful voice in the gaming space too early. And then we already uh, read Tyler's at the opening of the show. So I think that's a good way to close the show uh, in memory of Kenji Ino. We salute him and thank him for the games that he did give us. And check out some of those oddball ones, you know? Like, I was having fun kind of tapping single uh, pixels on my phone. That was kind of fun, actually. I might do that some more. All right. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.